Now podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of the OrthoEvalPal podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about carpal tunnel syndrome. We'll be discussing some of the signs and symptoms, how to diagnose it, treatment options, and so much more. But before we get started, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit EasyGliderSocks.com. That's EasyGliderSocks.com. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit EasySlant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. So before we get started, just wanted to talk about uh, this two-week COVID quarantine I just got off of. And I do have to say one thing. As much as I was dreading the possibility of being quarantined and maybe not working for a while and treating my patients, you know, it's it was it was kind of out of the usual routine for me. And, you know, I've always gotten up at 5, 5.30 in the morning, gotten ready, go take care of my patients, get back at night, do some stuff with my family. And I've always stayed very, very busy and always followed this this very specific routine for many, many years. And I'll tell you, quarantining actually was a good thing. There, you know, not only were we helping to protect other people out there and not spread um, COVID, but, you know, this gave me a time to spend a lot of time with my family. We had meals together every day, uh, which is something we haven't done in quite a while because uh, kids are getting older, they're in college, they're more independent. uh, And uh, so this was really good for us. So, you know, lots of family time together. And it gave me, uh, you know, some time to spend with my daughter who is in PT school and discussing all this PT stuff and, and just enjoying her enthusiasm for what she's going to be doing has been has been absolutely awesome. And, you know, this gave me some time to sit down and review where I am with OrthoEvalPal and just to kind of confirm that I'm still totally excited about continuing to do what I'm doing. I was able to beef up my website a little bit, put some new information on there. I was able to get my 
my some of my live lectures put into downloadable lectures and whatnot. So I really enjoyed this uh, this time, you know, uh, home. I also do a lot of you know work in the woods. I love to be out in the woods making trails and things like that. So we did a lot of snowshoeing once we had our first snow, and um, really kind of feel refreshed now. You know, getting into the holidays and uh, you know ready to really move forward with Orthway Valpal with lots more content. So. Let's get back to the topic at hand today, carpal tunnel syndrome, and I really didn't mean to put that pun in there, but, um, you know, let's talk about carpal tunnel syndrome. It is something that we all have a pretty good grasp on. We understand carpal tunnel. We know where it is. It's it's easy to identify for the most part, but I just want to maybe talk about a few tidbits of information that maybe you don't think about every time you see somebody with carpal tunnel syndrome. So what is carpal tunnel? Well, you have, you know, this area on the anterior side of the wrist where you have this compartment. It's it's very tight squeeze in there and it is a tunnel. You have nine tendons and a nerve going through this one space. And just imagine, you know, driving through a tunnel with a bunch of cars in it. And maybe if you've got two or three cars going through, but then try to put nine or 10 cars going through at the same time and maybe throw a plane in there and, you know, a couple other things and everything gets kind of crowded. And then, um, we don't have as good a movement getting through that tunnel. Okay, so think about that carpal tunnel and this median nerve, which we are going to be talking about today. So the median nerve is the, the nerve that gets affected most often in the carpal tunnel. You know, it helps with sensitivity. You can get tingling, numbness, weakness. You can get pain when you have compression or an excessive amount of strain or stress on the nerve. Now, we always attribute the median nerve as a problem of compression, and most of the time it is. So what causes carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, there's not a lot of literature out there driving in the direction of device use, and we kind of have been making this association with using cell phones and uh, tablets and things like that to people developing more carpal tunnel syndrome. And there really isn't a lot backing that up. It seems like, you know, the literature shows more of an issue with compression on the nerve and or prolonged flexion or extension of the wrist uh, while doing activities, especially if you're doing vibratory type activities, you know, like you know, running a jackhammer or maybe small tools with gripping and grasping that cause some vibration. Um, you know, you can get carpal tunnel from trauma and, and or anything else that causes inflammation in that tunnel. You get inflammation along with inflammation comes swelling and now we're starting to take up more space in that tunnel. So um, that can certainly be an issue. We also see an increased incidence of carpal tunnel in diabetics and people with thyroid issues. So that is something to take into consideration when you are evaluating your patient. Not uncommon to see carpal tunnel uh, in people who are a little more obese and or um, in pregnant women who are retaining fluid and start to develop some swelling in that uh, carpal tunnel region. Then you have the people who are just constantly putting pressure in that area, like cyclists or gymnasts who are really compressing the carpal tunnel a lot, causing some irritation and inflammation in that region. So how do we best diagnose carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, First of all, you need to remember that, you know, tingling, pain, weakness in the wrist, hand and fingers 
is not always carpal tunnel syndrome. And I really talk about this a lot in my podcast and especially in my videos on YouTube. I try to make sure that people don't just focus on one thing. You know, a patient might come in with a diagnosis. If you're a physical therapist or occupational therapist, we, we receive referrals from primary care providers. And on those referrals, it will say carpal tunnel syndrome, or it might say lateral epicondylitis, or low back pain, or herniated disc. Um, we cannot just focus on that one diagnosis. We need to keep an open mind when evaluating these patients and look outside the box because you could have other issues. For example, you could have a C6 or C7 nerve root compression in the cervical spine that gives you tingling in the distribution of the median nerve and even some weakness in the hand and wrist uh, and, uh, you know, and pain in that area. So remember that when you're evaluating your patient. Um, you can also have entrapment at the elbow near the flexor retinaculum or near the pronator where that median nerve uh, comes through. You can have soft tissue compression on that area. We will see this with people who do lots of gripping and grasping or who have very strong forearms. Like we have a, a, a group of folks who do... Uh, line work and electrical work where they are in bucket trucks and they are using big thick gloves and crimping devices and devices that require them to squeeze and grip a lot. And, and all of these folks who do line work have really big forms, really strong forms. And a lot of them end up with signs of carpal tunnel, but it's it's not in the wrist. The compression is in the forearm. So take that into consideration when evaluating your patient. Look at the activities that they do or maybe even the size or if they have spasm in the forearm. Um, that's important. Now, the other thing I want you to remember, and we just did a, topic, a, a talk on this uh, not too long ago about neural immobility. So if you have decreased nerve mobility of that median nerve and it is getting stressed and strained, not only does it the median nerve hate to be compressed, it does not like to be stretched. So if that nerve is not gliding very well amongst the soft tissues between the brachial plexus down to the fingers, um, you can get some symptoms of carpal tunnel syndrome. So remember these types of, of issues. And then, you know, X-rays and understanding if they have arthritic issues that cause inflammation into those regions um, can also be aggravating factors. So what is the best way to diagnose carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, if you are a provider and don't have access to electrodiagnostic testing, in my opinion, the best way to identify carpal tunnel syndrome is to place the patient into a wrist cock-up splint at night when they go to bed. And so carpal tunnel, is it's quite common to have it on both sides, okay? It's not just a unilateral issue. It can be on both sides. So what I will do with these people, if I'm somewhat suspicious, but I'm not quite sure, is this coming from the neck or maybe it's coming from the brachial plexus or is this truly coming from the wrist? Most of these people who have carpal tunnel syndrome will have a lot of tingling and numbness at night, and they'll have what we call the flick syndrome where they get up, they wake up, the hand is numb, and then they start flicking their hand around and they start moving it around a little bit so that that sensation of numbness goes away. So that is very, very common with people with carpal tunnel syndrome. So what I do is I place them in a wrist cock-up splint and I say, I only want you wearing this to bed and I only do it on one side. And if a patient comes back to me the next day and says, I had no tingling in my hand or I did not wake up because my hand was numb or tingly. 
right then and there, I, I can assume that this problem is in the wrist and that it is a carpal tunnel related issue. Now, that is one way to help identify, and there are other provocative tests that you can do to help identify this. So um, one of the other tests that I like to do is the Tenel sign, where I um, have the patient's wrist in a neutral position, and I will do a little tap right over the carpal tunnel at the wrist, and I will tap. Now, I will not tell the patient what they should be feeling. I'll say, do you feel anything unusual? And they might say, well, I feel you tapping my wrist. Or they'll say, I feel a little shocking sensation or a little tingling in the end of my index finger and thumb. Um, you know, so I look for um, that, that description of the tingling in the median nerve distribution, which is the thumb, index finger, middle finger, and half of the ring finger on the middle finger side. And so if they have any of those signs in that region when I'm doing the tap, um, then that would be a positive Tenel sign. And you can do a Tenel's in different areas. I will upload a video and put a link in the show notes so that you can see how we do the Tenel sign at the wrist. There's also the Phelan's test where you basically have the patient put the back of both hands together and kind of hyperflex both wrists. And basically what that does is it compresses the carpal tunnel and compresses the median nerve. And they will typically complain of tingling, numbness uh, type of sensation in the median nerve distribution. Now, remember, if they're getting tingling into the pinky or half of the ring finger, that is not a carpal tunnel related issue. So, um, Phelan's test. Now, if you bring the arms together in the front of you, you can get some compression at the scalenes and get a little thoracic outlet uh, sin symptom. Then I would, you know, do each hand individually and I will hold that wrist into flexion myself while the arm is by the side with the elbow at 90 degrees. And that seems to be a little more accurate in identifying a, a positive Phelan's test. Then you have the manual compression of the carpal tunnel. So I will simply put my thumb on the carpal tunnel. I'll put a little compression there and see if they have any increased symptoms. Now, the ultimate way to identify if somebody has carpal tunnel syndrome is through electrodiagnostic testing. So a nerve conduction velocity to see how well that nerve is um, conducting electricity and also an EMG. And an EMG can help to determine you know, the severity of the median nerve being compressed. Now, not everybody who has carpal tunnel syndrome needs to have surgery, but the EMG or electrodiagnostic testing can help to determine the severity. And, and if it is very severe, then sometimes doing conservative management just isn't going to help. So um, they may jump right into surgery and surgery has a really high success rate in treating carpal tunnel syndrome. So, um, you know, that is definitely a, a, a good test to help confirm your clinical findings. So how do we treat carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, I think that you need to focus on decreasing the compression or the excessive stress to the median nerve. So, you know, you could have physical or physiologic compression. So by physical, I mean, you know, somebody's working at their computer and they're keying in a lot and the wrist is sitting right on the edge of the keyboard, on the edge of a table or desk. Uh, and getting compression on the median nerve. Maybe they are in an excessive amount of flexion or extension causing stress there, but they could also have some swelling in that carpal tunnel. And as a result, that can cause some compression.
compression to the median nerve and give you those symptoms. So with that being said, if there's swelling and inflammation, taking some non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can be helpful. Um, a steroid injection can be very helpful. Now, it may not be permanent. It may not be a permanent fix, but in the early stages of carpal tunnel, decreasing that inflammation can be very helpful. And uh, maybe it's all the patient needs to decrease that inflammation and start to feel better. I also like to do nighttime bracing. I, I like to use a wrist cock-up splint. I don't like to extend it too much, but keep it more in a neutral position just so that the patient doesn't go into hyperflexion of the wrist because we have this tendency to sleep in the fetal position and cause a lot of compression to that median nerve. So using a brace at night is important. What I don't like to do is use a wrist cock-up splint during the day while they are working. I find that works the flexor tendons a lot harder and um, puts the patient sometimes in a position that doesn't work very well because you need to use your wrist and fingers at the same time to be most mechanically efficient. I like to implement independent tendon glides, so glides that are good for the flexor digitorum superficialis, and then focus on the flexor digitorum profundus, uh, independent tendon glides. Also like to do median nerve gliding activities, not just throughout the whole arm, but throughout the hand and wrist so that we can increase that mobility. I really feel that nerves, if they've been in one position for a long time or there's been a lot of swelling or some trauma, they start to tether and stick to other underlying tissues. So we want that median nerve to slide really well amongst the soft tissues. So I'm a big advocate of median nerve gliding. I'm also a very big proponent of scapular retraction and postural exercises. I think that we need to help optimize blood flow to the upper extremity. So we cause trauma to that carpal tunnel and to other structures in our arm on a regular basis basis. And the more blood flow we can get to it, the better. So if your posture is really bad, um, you're going to get less blood flow to that arm. We want to get people into a um, scapular retraction position and uh, do thoracic kyphosis reduction exercises. And I'll also add a video of some of the exercises that I like to do um, for thoracic kyphosis reduction. As I do those exercises, I just try to Pay attention to the wrist position to make sure we are not ex excessively extending or flexing the wrist. You can do soft tissue modalities to help decrease inflammation. I, in particular, like iontophoresis with dexamethasone. Um, the carpal tunnel is really close to the surface, so that medication can get into that area and help decrease the inflammation. And don't forget to check the patient's ergonomics. I'm big on getting into the workplace and looking at their arm position, hand position, postural position, and uh, we try to maximize that so there's less compression on that carpal tunnel and that the hand and wrist is in a better position. Also, if the patient does not get better with a conservative course of treatment, then surgery may be in the works. And usually surgery is very successful for treating carpal tunnel. So, um, you know, it's a pretty quick surgery. And patients recover really quickly. And if anything, if they don't get completely better with surgery, at least it decreases the potential for more compression in the future. So it can be preventative in nature. Folks, 
that will conclude our talk on carpal tunnel um, symptoms and carpal tunnel synd- uh, syndrome today. Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, if you are new to OrthoE Valpal, don't forget to listen to some of our older episodes. You know, as I look at the statistics, we have great viewership um, going forward. The numbers keep going up. But I did have a switch in my podcasting uh, station about a year and a half ago. And um, some of those previous episodes just don't get viewed very often. So make sure you check those out. We have some really good episodes back then. And, um, be sure to you know give us a rating and review and check out our website uh, because I was on leave for about two weeks and on quarantine I did some upgrades to the website bringing you more information and uh, and more education so uh, again folks thank you so much for listening and take care we hope you've enjoyed the show for some more awesome content go to orthoevalpal.com can't wait to see you there